Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to another episode. I'm here with uh, with uh, Richard Fairgray. He is the writer, creator, artist, and colorist, right, Richard? Yeah, I'm the everything. Uh, the, the, the everything, the one-stop creator uh, for an awesome series. Uh, I was super happy. Uh, uh, I was able to read it um, called uh, Black Sand Beach and a couple others. Uh, so Richard, thanks uh, so much for uh, coming on, on board and talking to me today. Listen, any distraction I can get. Yeah, you. Uh, when you said you're out in New Zealand, right? Yeah, I arrived here uh, five days ago, um, and I'm in a managed isolation hotel room, uh, which is government funded because the New Zealand government are good at things. But uh, I am 127 hours exactly into my two week stay, and I never saw the movie 127 hours because I assumed it was like a big commitment, kind of like Never Ending Story. But this is a nightmare. I, I could. 130 square foot room for five days i could only imagine how uh how awful that must be and you're by yourself right like legit yeah. isolation legit quarantine i mean I, I, my, my my best friend nigel who's a, a plastic skeleton uh did stow away in my suitcase but the disadvantage of him is that he's a plastic skeleton not a real person so that's not as fun as it might seem on instagram but uh, I would assume the uh, lunch bill and the lunch tabs a lot uh, a lot easier to uh, to flip. Well, it's interesting because I I eat the chicken and he eats the bones. I love it. This uh, so uh I'm so sorry. No, you know what? Uh, I, I'm gonna use this as like an awesome segue because like I I see a lot of this humor and this kind of um, I, there's like this really awesome kind of heartfelt kind of uh energy to your to your writing is that something that just comes off natural or something that you like were you know um, you, you know I, I think i think that you know at, at the heart of it uh, most of my story i mean i you know for for people who don't know the book it's it's a horror series for kids um and my my childhood was not like the most fun it wasn't you know the worst in the world but I was not a particularly happy child, and I sort of try and write books for for that kid, that that weirdo outcast kid, which I think we all kind of feel like. Um, and I think that kids like that and adults like that tend to use humor pretty effortless, effortlessly as a defense mechanism, and so it becomes like kind of second nature to be able to be like, "Oh, look, there's a terrible thing happening. Um, we should definitely run away from it." But I will make a couple of quips first. Yeah, I that was the first thing that uh, besides like the awesome artwork, like amazing storytelling, but the the first thing that that popped out to me just immediately was the actually h hysterical like how funny um you know the your your comics were, but they were also really heartfelt and they they felt really meaningful too. Like there was like a a real sincerity to them that I, I think I think a lot of comics are missing and I thought you did like a just an amazing job. I love the and the name's gonna um, uh, the name is going to escape me right now. It was the Fred. Was it Fred? It was the one That's where a really forgettable uh, name. That's all. No, There's no. Really uh, Fred in my comic, but it is a forgettable name. It is. It is. Uh, the comic with the um, with the dinosaur uh, like uh, protector. Yes, that was probably one of the funniest comics I've ever read. Like actually, legitimately funny. Thank from. You. From the um, the the my butt hurts. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't even know what to call it. Rally, 
Yeah, yeah. It's monsters against big, ugly triceratopses that harm us. Something, something, something. Uh, I can't remember it. Um, yeah, and, and the, the acronym was My Butt Hurts. Oh, it took I me mean, like an hour to come up with that. I mean, it was really fun. Like, I'm not talking about like, oh, like when you see something like, oh, this is funny. And like, you do like the text, like LOL, but you have like the straight face. Like this was, I was like, actually like, oh my God, like I, this, like this humor is great. I like, I don't remember ever reading a comic that was that good. Uh, like on the nose, like not on the nose, but like just the, the, the really hit you in the funny bone, actually laugh stuff. Like that was just amazing. That is, um, you have no idea what a compliment that is. Uh, I, I think that, uh, I was talking to my friend Theo about this recently, like, comics are, by their nature, meant to be funny, but almost never are. I mean, obviously, like, there are many comics that aren't meant to be funny, but, like, the origin of comics is funny strips. And I think that there are so few examples of comics that actually make you laugh out loud. Um, and to know that I've made that happen for even one person is really really nice i mean my big goal is to make people feel afraid um but but any emotion that i can, any physical reaction a person can have to pictures on paper makes me pretty happy yeah one thing that i um uh i noticed about you know all of your stories is that there is this element of of horror and then you you are able to sprinkle in um, these elements of comedy or humor or, you know, lightheartedness. Like I love in the black sand beach, the dad joke, um, because I tell dad jokes all the time. And I think they're hysterically, not because they're funny, but because how bad they are. And you just like nailed it on that one. Um, and so like, I just, was that something that, um, it, it, you just naturally do as like a writer and creator? Or is that something that you've honed over time? Um, I mean, with, oh, Sorry, someone's calling me on Skype as I've, after I've just told them to leave me alone because I'm doing an interview. Um, I will quit Skype. My, I, di I didn't even know I had Skype on this computer, so that was the least professional thing that has ever happened. No, no worries. <laughs> no, no worries at all. Um, I I, we could edit this out. Oh, good. <laughs> um, I think like that, that specific example is, uh, is something really dear to me. I... I always think it's so funny there's a couple of moments in the simpsons where characters have deliberately made jokes like marge has said something that marge thinks is funny and that's such a different style of humor than someone saying something that is funny because of circumstance but someone actually deliberately trying to be funny to impress other characters is so weird and so rarely seen in anything and have getting to have a character like dale who is this like gooberish dad with cargo pants and a fanny pack and like who wears his fishing hat in the shower like to get him to be able to go hey guys we're going on a long walk you're stuck with me i'm gonna tell a real long joke that definitely barely pays off that was that was a very fun feeling and also like i think that for, you know jokes of that kind no one really owns them like uh, there are many short stories and short films that try and investigate like the origin of jokes but like they're the they're the closest thing we have to like uh, a, 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 um, oral storytelling that gets passed down. Um, when you're standing around in a room and people say, "I've got this funny thing to show you on YouTube," and all you're thinking about is, 
I can't wait to show you the thing that I have on YouTube because it's also funny. It's the worst party ever. But when a group of people are standing around and they're telling these jokes and they like make you go, oh, I remember, I know this other one about these two legionnaires who were defected from their legion, etc., etc., then four hours of your life is taken up by things that you'll only remember a couple of, but you are delighted and engaged the whole time. Uh, and so putting that in the comic was like kind of important to me and and uh, i didn't get to do it in the second book but i just finished the page in the third but was it four pages in the third book where he does it again with a new joke with it with another joke that i've just known my whole life so i'm excited for people to see that one yeah it's uh it's really unique you have like this this really awesome kind of uh style not only to the artwork which i think is is really beautiful and it it works not only for the stories that you're telling, but kind of the set the atmosphere and everything, and in the um, and the storytelling is is really well. Was that when you started creating? Did you always wanted to be the one stop shop type of guy, or is it just kind of evolved over time? How did that kind of process come about? Oh well, I, I've just been doing this since I was a kid, and um, you know, my first book I made when I was three years old, and I like. I just learned to read and write, and I taped a bunch of pieces of paper together and was like, I guess this is how books are made. And then I wrote a story that ends very abruptly because I ran out of pages. Um, and That is I, awesome, by the way. <laughs> that you just like, like, oh, well, what can I do? We're out of paper. It was also the first time I got in like serious trouble and my parents had to be called. Um, so I, I was raised in New Zealand, where I am now, stuck here again. Um, and... Uh, so kindergarten starts when you're three, um, and I was uh, I got my parents got called in because I wrote a story where Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck were meant to meet up at a haunted house to go find a ghost together, and Mickey doesn't show up. So Donald gets all sad, and he goes in looking for the ghost on his own, and he meets this ghost, and the ghost has been crying for a hundred years because he has no friends. And Donald realizes that he doesn't have any friends either, so he takes out a gun, I don't know where from, uh, and shoots himself in the face so that he can stay and be friends with the ghost forever. Uh, as dark as that is, like, that's actually a really, like, awesome story. Like, there's, like, not only some merit to it, but I, I definitely see your your style that you're doing now, like, a direct, like, through line from like what you just told me in that original story to what you're doing now with like uh black sand beach and everything like it just it just seems like a, a natural progression so that was your first story kind of what was that the the middle like then was there any growing pains or just kind of you just kept going i just kind of kept going like i made a lot of like really dumb things i didn't um you know i used to just i kept doing the taping pieces of paper together uh, for a few years and like that I wrote my own version of the three little pigs which literally ends with the wolf like on the roof of like no it doesn't even have the wolf like the third the wolf eats the first two pigs and then the third pig spends like six pages building a house made out of bricks and I just kept drawing more and more bricks and I don't know what was wrong with me because I hate drawing bricks and I still do and I keep putting them in my stories and it just ends with like the pig being like yeah I'm pretty happy I've got this brick house the wolf never shows up because I ran out of pages. Um, and then uh, I started making things on loose pieces of paper and I learned about like how books were put together. And then when I was seven, I started making comics because I had seen them in other things. I'd never seen one in real life and I thought that they didn't exist. So I thought that if I could make my own ones, then I would probably become like a millionaire because um, I'd be the only person in the entire world who made comic books. 
and uh, it didn't work, but I did make some money because I was blackmailing my school librarian and I got free photocopying and I sold this book, Ghost Ghost, um, which I, I just signed a contract to have that republished, actually. Um, but I, I, I wrote this book, Ghost Ghost, when I was seven and got photocopied 200 copies and sold it at a school athletics day. Um, and used the money to buy like a bunch of Power Rangers. And I lie and I tell people I bought Ninja Turtles because it's cooler, but I for realsies just bought Power Rangers. I was a huge Power Ranger fan. Like I remember like having a Christmas where the only gifts I got were Power Rangers. Like for the longest time, I was a huge Power Ranger fan. So not only do I understand that, but don't ever uh, disown the power. Like own it. Like it was the one, like... Maybe this was just a New Zealand thing, partly because we had, like, a kid died here playing Power Rangers, so they took it off the air after, like, two weeks. So I hadn't even seen very much of it. I was like, these toys are dope, and they have hands with fingers that move. I can, like, hang them on ropes and stuff. Um, And I just, like, I got all of them. And I was, uh, like, neurotic and weird as a kid, so I'd be like, well, if there is a thing, I have to own it so that my collection is complete. And then I'll put it in a box in my closet because I like my bookshelf to be completely empty so my room is perfectly clean. Looking back on it, there was there, there, I, I was a messed up kid. Um, but I wrote a lot of books, and uh, that doesn't answer your question at all. But the answer is just I just kept doing it forever. And then when I finished high school, um, I started. Uh, I didn't even know there were comic conventions at that point. Like I knew there were comics by that point. I'd read a few. Uh, I read my first comic when I was sixteen, and uh, that was um, I feel sick which I, I, I maintain to this day, is better than Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. And um, then I read Miracle Man, and it was like, okay, so I'm seeing both ends of the spectrum here of, like, really good in very different ways. And then I was out shopping one day, and I stumbled across a comic convention that I didn't know existed, and the guy who was running it yelled at me. He was like, hey, you look fat. Do you like food? I was like, yeah, I, yeah, that's, like, 100% accurate about me. Um, and... <laughs> He said, if you help... That is the most brutal... That is the most brutal, like, thing ever. I mean, also, like, you know I like food because I look fat. And I didn't just look fat, by the way. I was legitimately fat. I think he was really misrepresenting by saying I just looked it. Oh, yeah, no, I do look fat. This is a balloon I carry. No, I was a fat person. Um, when I say was, I mean am. Um, but I, he said, if you carry these boxes of mac and cheese into the building you can get into my comic convention for free and i was like all right like can you imagine it's like ah, uh, like uh, there's just so many so many things going through my mind like oh i'm sure this kid will say yes for the uh mac and cheese but he didn't even offer you the mac and cheese <laughs> that was the weird part um but so I, I helped them for like 10 minutes carry a bunch of boxes of mac and cheese that they were giving away at the convention because craft dinners were trying to get a foothold in new zealand and failed and um, I went into this convention, and there was this comic store going out of business, and they were selling off all of their trades for five bucks a piece. And so I walked out of there with like Dark Knight Returns, all of Sandman, From Hell, Watchmen, V for Vendetta, and then like a random assortment of other like fairly um, terrible like dumb crossovers. Where I was like, I've heard of this character. Oh, I, I, yeah, I guess I'd like to know. What, what happens when Judge Dredd meets Batman. That sounds sparkly. Um, and and then, like, the following year, I, co- I contacted the guy who ran it, and the following year I just had a booth at the convention. I was like, hey, I'm the guy who carried your mac and cheese. 
can I have like a booth and I'm gonna sell my comics? Do you think and... th- uh, did he legitimately remember you? Yeah, he did. Well, like, like I I don't know if he legitimately remembered me, but I think he was sort of like, how did you get my home number? And okay, weirdo. Um, and I knew that like I was like no one knows who I am, so I have to have a hook. So I had this I had a booth and I set up a game where people could. Uh, I bought a bunch of those like soap dishes that are shaped like big rubber duckies and they have three little rubber duckies in them and i set up uh, three of the soap dishes i bought a hundred of the little rubber duckies had them in a big jar and i said pay a dollar throw a duck if it lands in the thing you win 50 bucks worth of comics and like nobody won but people were obsessed with these ducks because like they were cute and squeezy uh, squeaky and what have you and so i just spent like the for the next five years um, I became known as the duck guy, um, and people would buy my comics because they were already there, and slowly I built my name, and by the time I finished college, I was making a pretty decent living, uh, by doing six conventions a year, and oh, it was so gross, though, because, and I, I've never talked about this too publicly, but, like, if anyone from New Zealand is listening, those ducks were nasty, like, right before every convention, I would have to, like, hammer the the big plastic jar that i kept them in i'd have to smash it with a hammer to get out the solid lump of ducks and i'd pour boiling water over them and leave them soaking in my tub to separate them because so many people were touching them they were just covered in convention sweat and they would like solidify together and the thing is then at the convention people would be like what a cute duck i'm gonna immediately put it in my mouth because for some reason that's a thing people want to do and I was like, I'm pretty sure someone's going to die, but I'm going to stay quiet because they'll never trace it back to these ducks. That is h- hilarious and disgusting all at the same time. Like the uh, the fact that we're in quarantine right now, the ducks would never, never pass now, never I mean, fly. Like, like the, the stories from conventions, like the things that are just not okay anymore. Like um, one year, so the, the convention hall we were at, it was five floors and the top floor was like, uh, it was all the comic stuff, and it was sort of a, a mezzanine kind of thing, but not really. Like, it was the full floor, but it had, like, I guess for ventilation or light or something, there was an area behind our booths where there was a gap down to the lower floors. And the floor right below us was the video game floor, uh, which had very little ventilation and was, like the, the like, the dankest pit in the whole wide world. And above us were these sloped... Uh, windows in the in the roof and one year I was standing there and I was talking to a customer and this like drip of liquid hit the comic they were looking at and I was like is there a leak I was like nah there's not that's sweat condensation from downstairs coming up on the glass above us and it started like raining on us inside the convention raining other people's sweat from a different floor of the building that is absolutely atro- – that's just disgusting in it so was, many levels. It was the nastiest thing that had ever happened <laughs> at a show, I think. Okay, but, the, but the, the, question, the, the question I need to ask is did you make the sale? I actually did. I didn't sell her that copy of it, but I sold her a different copy of the book. And, like, that would have been um, – I'm 35 now, so I would have been – it was pre Blastosaurus, so it would have been like 21, so 14 years ago. Um, I sold her that book, and she is 
still a fan of my work, still reads everything I do, lives in the city that I'm currently in quarantine at, and like reached out to me on Facebook the other day to be like, hey, do you need me to deliver any like wine or KFC to your hotel? So that's awesome. So yeah, yeah. I, I get this is like a I guess a natural segue. Like you've obviously been uh, kind of doing this for a long time. Obviously, uh, you know, cultivating some fans. Um, what has it been like to kind of um, go on this like in the, like uh, I don't want to I don't know if I, independence is the right word, but kind of this comic creating journey. What's it like? You know, interacting with fans. What's it like building up your fan base and um, how has that kind of process been for you? Um, it's it's honestly it's one of the hardest things to do that I've ever come across. Like, uh, we were meant to have a, a panel at WonderCon this year to talk about this, but obviously everything in the whole world got canceled. Um, talking about the difference between like being an, a, an independent creator uh, versus working on licensed uh, titles, and I have. The, the, every time I would I, I lived in Hollywood for the past three years um, and I have just moved to Canada but now I'm stuck back in New Zealand long story um, but every time I would meet with like a manager or an agent or whatever they would the first question they had about comics they would say what what's the Batman story you want to tell because in their mind everyone has a Batman story and the truth is I don't like I have absolutely no interest in writing a Batman story because I, I just don't care like, I want to read other people's Batman stories. I want to hear other people's Batman stories. That sounds super fun. But I've never had a desire to write anything, any characters that anyone else has come up with. And um, that's me. that means that, like, it's always an uphill battle for me. Uh, when, when Blastosaurus first launched properly, because there was a whole thing where, like, Blastosaurus was a joke in the back of another comic that I made, and then uh, it got optioned by this American company who had an imprint through Top Cow and everything fell apart and it was a legal thing and blah 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 I got the rights back, I did a big relaunch and uh, when I did, I did like a lot of press and we were for a second, you know, for like a half hour until a new story ticked over, we were the top story on comic book resources and we had absolutely no uh increase in in hits to our website or traffic to any social media anything like that from that story and i was talking to my friend who was an editor there at the time and he said yeah that's the thing like no one reads the top story people just scroll until they see a character they know and that's the thing you're always going to be up against if you're creating your own characters people are looking for spider-man because they know who spider-man is and so especially with this pandemic people keep saying like book sales are up and and comic sales are up it's like yeah they are but they're up for Spider-Man. They're up for Batman. They're up for all the things that people are already familiar with because right now everyone is scared and no one wants to take a risk on a new thing. And so I built a decent fan base in New Zealand. Um, I made my living through comics in New Zealand. I did that by working six... I mean, I, I worked every single day of the year making the comics, but I sold them six weekends a year at conventions. And when I moved to America three years ago... Uh, I was essentially giving up every single thing that I had here, every single person who knew who I was, and going into a place where the potential was much bigger. There are more people, there are more comic fans, there are more comic stores. I mean, this country has, I think, five comic stores nationwide. But I was also saying, like, hey, I'm entirely new. None of you know who I am. And everyone would say to me, well, why didn't you just, like, why don't you try and write for something people know already? 
And every time I even think about doing it, I realize that I just wouldn't do it very well. Not because I couldn't, but because I just do not care. Like, it's the same. Like, I I don't, I, I love reading comic strips. I cannot draw a comic strip because I do not care about drawing comic strip. So if I do a comic strip, day one, super detailed. Day two, stick figures. Day three, and this is a literal example of a daily comic strip I started. The characters are in a closet, and so I drew a door and had the dialogue coming out from behind that door. That, you know, this this need, this need to um, kind of follow trends that I've seen a lot of um, managers or agents look, you know, want people to kind of fit in like they want something new or something the same but different Mm. right and so like i had a very personal experience so uh back in 2016 uh, i got picked up uh, by a literary manager and i i worked developing some stuff for about two years and nothing came out and what my my experience is very similar because I started out really excited and, and I had all these grandiose things, but every time I turned something in, the what eventually would happen was I stopped writing for myself and I started almost writing his story. Like it like he would like give me like it would almost be like, Well, you gotta do like the next breaking bad or the next this or the next that. And it it was almost my like trying to fit my voice instead of finding my voice and my niche and finding my thing uh it was more like trying to fit me into the flow of where things are going already yeah and um you can have mediocre success at that but like i I, you know i I can't remember who said this but someone said it and i think it's real clever so i'm gonna say it was me but it wasn't um ambitious failure is always better than mediocre success yeah i mean uh, a lot of people do make their like people make their living um doing that type of stuff and i i very much like you i have absolutely no uh no desire to really write you know i i I don't have a story in like my back of my mind that if dc walked up to me and was like give me your bat you know i want you to write batman i would probably say yes because i have no idea why they were talking to me but I mean, I don't have one ready to go. Like, I, that's just not just is not something I I want to do at the at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I think if I if I spend enough time thinking about it, um, I'm sure there's a bat, there's a story of someone in Batman that I would. But like, if I got to write The Simpsons, it would be the Adventures of Superintendent Chalmers because I, I love that guy. I love his I love his stories, but no one wants to see it. You know. No one, no one wants the 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 Ninja Turtle story about. Uh, I can't think of uh, actually every single thing in Ninja Turtles everyone loves. Like I was trying to think of a character Irma. I want to do a story about Irma, but of course then the 2012 series did a cool Irma story, so I guess that's gone. Yeah, I think you know if you if you take like a side character and make it interesting and make it you know their own thing and still true to the universe, I think there could be. Um, an audience there for it just because it's in the same universe but i don't know how many people are wanting to do that number one Mm. and then number two i don't know how many people are um willing to 
kind of invest their time and energy on like a, a peripheral character when they could, you know, just write Batman. Yeah, and and like I I don't want to get too nerdy here, but like Batman is an incredibly unsatisfying character because like he literally always exists in one part of the story circle. He never progresses. He never never makes any any growth. Um, he is perpetually stuck trying to overcome that first hurdle, which is insurmountable, which is somehow saving his parents. He can symbolically do it by helping Gotham, but, like, it's boring. And so what happens is writers start trying to find other ways for it to happen, and they bring in new characters, and they bring in side characters, and they make it more about the Joker, or they make it more about the Penguin, or they make it whatever. And really, Batman is... Just a guy who comes in is sort of sardonic and does some punching. I don't know why that would be anyone's dream to write. And yeah, I don't. And, you know, you no, know, no, 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 no judgment. Like, like you want to write Batman? Do it. Write as yeah, I would. Real yeah. I uh, I always wondered like the the one character like if I had a, a a Batman story and this is just like literally me just riffing off the cuff here. I would think, like, Mad Hatter or something would, like, cure him of his PTSD because that's what he has. <laughs> and, like, then you no longer have Batman. Like, that would be a more interesting story. Like, what does Bruce Wayne do now that he's cured? Mm. Yeah, I'd read that. Yeah, that's that's definitely – that would be, like, the only one I have because, like, every other one is just, like, some sort of different uh, iteration of something else that's happened. My friend Alex has this uh... – this idea that he, he he's like he's not a comic writer he never will write a comic he does not care about writing comics um, so I'm not like ruining his idea by saying this um, he says he wants to write a story about the Riddler just wandering around Gotham coming up with riddles and I think that's so funny <laughs> like, See, that, like just like a Seinfeld episode with the Riddler no more like um, uh, what's that show with the, the, the drug addict doctor um uh House. Down. I wish that did. Um, Was it House? Yeah, House. Yeah, House. Like you know how House would always be like, I don't know what the disease is that I'm fighting this week, X file style. Oh look, someone's chewing gum. That gum reminds me of the word flum, which is the name of a disease that someone had in the twenties. I'll look it up in a book. What? It's that. You know, like that stupid eureka moment. I want to see, wanna like, I want to see Alex's version of that, like the Riddler wandering around. <laughs> And, like, having dumb eureka moments of, like, that dog is peeing on a square tile. Mm, I wonder what that means in a cryptic crossword. That would uh, that would be really interesting. And then I, I just don't uh, – I don't see anyone at DC giving that the green light. But that would be very interesting and hilarious. But, like, that meeting where they're like, hey, uh, we are looking to sell more than 11 copies, so this is a no – but maybe you could get like the uh, the back issue of like a Batman. Like that would be a fun like eight pager like at the back mm. matter. Yeah. So uh, hard, I guess hard segue here. Um, so now um, you're you're making comics, kind of like what's the um, what do you got? Like you started making comics. Um, you're doing it on your own. Then you move to Hollywood. Then Canada. Kind of where where are you at now in the kind of indie creator? life um i've been pretty i don't want to say lucky because it has been a lot of hard work but i've stumbled into a lot of really good things um my intention when i first moved to la was to like 
take a year off and just make a bunch of stuff and not have to care about money. And um, I'd, I'd gotten divorced and sold my house and, and all of that before I moved there. So I was kind of good to go. And then while I was super duper jet lagged, uh, I got offered uh, a publishing deal for Blastosaurus. And I didn't remember it happening. Um, my negotiations weren't great, let's put it that way. Uh, but I then had like a full-time job for the next two years because they wanted to do this thing as a monthly book. And um, I didn't know how to color at the time, and I just assumed that I could learn, and I did. Um, but so I, I did that for a while, and then I was I got married, and I was uh, I took two months off to build a haunted house uh, for my wedding, and then I was on my honeymoon, and my agent called me, and she was like, "Hey, an editor you used to work with on kids books has." Uh, reached out to say that she's with a new publisher and she wants you to come in for a meeting if you can be in New York next week. I was like, I'm in New York right now. Could she meet me tomorrow? And um, and I, I went into this meeting not knowing anything except that I should have a series in mind. And I didn't. Um, but I, again, lucky and stumbling into things, I spent most of my summers as a kid at a haunted lighthouse. And so... I just kind of riffed a thing in the room uh, about these, these this this kid spending a summer at a haunted lighthouse uh, with his stupid family and his weird cousins, and um, they I I lied and said that I'd been working on it for several months, and they bought it in the room, and then I I, I pitched it as three sixty four page graphic novels. And they came back to me um, about a month later with, like, the official offer and everything, and they wanted two books. And I was super bummed out because uh, I did have, you know, enough material for three that I could, you know, spew out somehow. But I accepted it. Uh, they were going to meet my page rate and everything, so it was all good. And then I get a call from the editor on January 1st of uh, the year of our Lord, 2019, and uh, she said... Um, she said, are you sure you can get this book done in time? It's quite a lot of work. And I was like, no, nah, I've been doing a monthly book. You want 64 pages, and it's due April 1st. Like, that's three months to do 64 pages. That's super-duper easy. And she said, no, it's not. It's 192 pages, Richard. We bought two books, each with three 64-page stories in them. Did you not read your contract? And I was like, I have to be honest with you. I've never read a contract. Um, and so then I freaked out a little bit, and I moved into my office full-time, uh, put in a bulk order for adult premium body wipes so that I wouldn't need to shower. That did give me a permanent chemical burn that I will have to explain to many people for the rest of my life. Um, and I sort of decided to forego sleep as much as possible and lived in a state of insanity uh, for the next three months. But I got it done. And then by the time I was meant to start the next one, the same company had bought another series from me and so I just signed the deal for books three and four of Black Sand Beach and I've got three books coming out from my other series Cardboardia which is a middle grade fantasy comic about kids who can travel through cardboard boxes into a world made entirely of cardboard and um, I have a collection of short horror fiction coming out in January uh, it's just an it's an ebook but it's um a tie-in to Black Sand Beach. It's a, just a companion piece, um, sort of 
uh, scary stories to tell in the dark style, uh, but but the actual stories, not just instructions on how to tell scary stories, because those books are weird. Like the stories are good, but that is those books are weird. Um, and so I've done that. It's 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 a tie into Black Sand Beach, and also based on my podcast Tales from Black Sand Beach, which we did one season of at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, as I said, I just signed a publishing deal for Ghost Ghost, which there are ten mini comics for, which should be coming out across America over the next year or so. And I'm working on um, an ongoing picture book series that I think I'm not allowed to talk about, but basically it's about a kid named Morgan who asks impossible to answer questions. And I think that's all right now. That's oh, that's awesome. Oh, no, that's I'm, I'm, oh. I'm doing. I should. I should. I'm doing a whole thing because I'm going mad in quarantine. My, my my skeleton Nigel, who stowed away with me, um, he and I are doing a whole thing on my Instagram uh, about our friendship in quarantine together. So so people should definitely check that out. It's it's gonna go until Halloween, and it, it's it's gonna get weird. That's uh that's awesome. So how have you uh how have you been? It seems like you're you're you know, fairly prolific. Like how, how are you able to just kind of fit all these projects in and, and get them, um, get them all out. And it just, uh, you know, I'm just sitting back here in awe of all the things you got going on. I, I wake up at four and I work until 10 PM and that's my entire life. That's awesome. There's I, no, I, <laughs> no, that's, you know, that's, I, I, I'm, definitely in awe of the uh of the dedication man that's that's incredible um why you know what is it about horror that kind of is it seems like horror and we talked a little bit about the humor um what is it about horror that it seems like not only a through line through all your comics but definitely your life too right you built a haunted house uh for your wedding i mean that's incredible i like being scared um i think that the real world is pretty terrifying i mean especially now but kind of always um i'm i'm legally blind um i have three percent vision in my good eye and i have nothing in the other and so for me things can come out of nowhere at any point like i'm constantly surprised and constantly jumpy because things are on my left hand side and i just do not know they're there and I can either live in constant fear of everything, or I can be delighted by being afraid of things. And I, I chose the latter. Um, I think also, like, especially when it's in a story, there's something so exciting about when you're afraid of something, you have no choice but to go forward and find out what it is. And that's th- those are always the best stories, the ones where you are, are terrified to turn the page, but you cannot do anything else. Yeah, and... Another kind of theme I see with with a, a lot of your stories is this like there there seems to be these monsters or these things that uh, the normal human world is afraid of, but then they're they're not that bad. They're just I don't know different or outliers. And then there's the real monsters. Like I think you even mentioned that. Uh, I forget what story it was, where they're like the monsters, and then the monsters that want to eat the whole world. I think were the exact. Well, like, yeah, I, I, I know the story you're talking about, but like the monster that I make seem like super chill and normal in that is Chuck Mulchuck, who also openly eats children. So like he's pretty bad. Yeah, uh, um, I, I think there's just there's just this really interesting kind of like, um, 
I don't even know how to describe it. Like, yes, there are bad things out into this world that might scare us or that aren't good, but there's also really worse things out there as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, like, I... I always think about it like if you if you can't see something, anything could be there. Like right now, I cannot see what's on the other side of the bed in this hotel room. Now I'm pretty certain there's not a crocodile there, but like I can never be a hundred percent certain until I look, right? Yeah, and it's a uh, it's just a really really interesting kind of. Um, it's almost like you, you, two sides um, of, I don't want to call it a spectrum, but like you have the, the, the really dark and, and, and horror stuff and the scary stuff, but also there's this really nice um, humor aspect too that like just that marriage between those two is just, uh, has been really awesome, was really awesome to like read and. Um, it's like, like I, I have this real hatred for like the, 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 like the Saw movies and the Hostel movie type stuff, like that kind of gore porn, um, where uh, the 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 point of it is to be horrifying. I love Halloween. It's my favorite um, three-month period of the year because Halloween is all about putting on a silly costume and scaring someone, but they're only scared for that one second. As soon as, like, as soon as they feel afraid their mind catches up and goes, oh no, that's just Richard dressed as an octopus. I don't have to be scared of that at all. I'm a silly billy. And then you laugh at yourself, and then both people involved in the exchange are laughing, and everyone's happy. And you're laughing more because you've also been afraid, so you've had an adrenaline rush. And that's the best kind of scare. And when you're when you're in a horror story, um, or, you know, when I write a horror story, the thing that I, know I never want to do or the, the thing I use as, as rarely as possible is having a character be alone because that's not fun. I want people to be afraid, but I want them to still be having fun. So I write stories about kids who are running headfirst into adventure because it's the most fun thing they could do. They're scared, but they're together and they're friends and they're not just isolated being afraid and alone because that actually, that, that's real scary. Like, you know, I play with some pretty scary ideas. I play with stuff that I was afraid of as a kid, stuff that still kind of creeps me out now. Um, in book two of Black Sand Beach, uh, I, I don't want to give away too much, but the main character, Dash, he uh, is finding out about what happened the summer before that he can't remember. And the summer before, he met these two girls, and he realizes that they are dead. Not that they're ghosts, not that they died, but that they just forgot how to be alive. And they've been at Black Sand Beach for long enough that it has stripped away their ability to be alive anymore. And one of the key things is they don't know what breathing is. And as a kid, the idea of forgetting how to breathe is terrifying. Like, I was so scared of that for so long. But, you know, I know that I can put that idea in a story and that idea will stick with a kid for... I hope hours or days after they read it and it'll haunt them a little bit and they'll enjoy that. But in the story itself, the immediate reaction from Dash is to say, no, 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 don't worry. I'll teach you because I know how to breathe because I'm still alive. And maybe if you remember how to, you can start being alive again too. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. And uh, I'm sure 
you know, I'm sure there, there's probably like some kid who, you know, not even a kid, but like an adult or anyone who reads that could uh, immediately connect. And I, I think, you know, sprinkling in some of your, you know, your, you know, you grew up with by a lighthouse and there's a lot of um, personal stuff with this story that I could see and feel. And it just, it's just really, um, it, it was really refreshing to, to read your stuff. And like, I don't know anyone um, who kind of writes like you or, or creates comics like you. It was just like, so, such a unique kind of point of view. Um, yeah, it was awesome. It was really, really awesome to read. So that, uh, you know, kind of brings me to my, my next question. Actually, I have two questions. One is, how the hell do you draw if you're legally blind? And number two, what's the hardest process, hardest part of being the one-stop shop guy? Is it the writing, the drawing, the coloring? What, you know, kind of, where, where's the hardest part for you? Um, so I draw by just putting the paper super-duper close to my face. I have really bad back problems uh, as a result. Um, and I have to kind of... I have to get a sense of what the page is going to look like before I start and then get so close that I can't see the whole page. Like, there's no situation where drawing a page of comic, I can really see everything that's going on in it at once. Um, so I have to sort of rely on my ability to remember what happened on a different part of the page if I'm trying to create some kind of holistic image. Um, I think I'm pretty good at it, but that's because I've done, like... I think I've, I've, I must have literally drawn about 8,000 pages of comics at this point. Um, the hardest part for me is, is uh, it's sort of difficult to say. Like, when something's really hard to do, I enjoy it a lot more. Um, I think that's, you know, what I said about doing comic strips earlier. Um, I think the reason I hate comic strips, or hate, I hate making comic strips, is that, and don't get me wrong, there are some very good ones out there that don't do this. But by and large, comic strips are two characters at the same size, from the same angle, talking with minor background stuff. Um, and the idea of doing that, which is super easy to do, by the way, like, I'm not saying writing the jokes is easy or whatever, but drawing the same thing from pretty much the same angle over and over again is super easy. And as soon as something is easy, I get bored and I stop caring. Um, I find, like, there's a lot of stuff in making comics that is technically easy. Scanning a page and then cleaning it up to make sure all the lines have been erased fully, all that kind of stuff, is technically really easy. But it's boring, and so it's really hard to motivate myself to do it. Drawing a super complicated monster or a really hard, um, like, perspective shot of like the inside of a lighthouse with a spiral staircase and wooden framework that will take me less time to do than a, a page with no backgrounds and two people talking because I will not get distracted if I'm that engaged by the drawing um, for that reason I kind of hate coloring uh, there are it's like comic strips there are many people who are amazing at coloring and they can do amazing things but, like, the learning curve for coloring is so shallow to start. It's, can you do these basic things? Technically, yes. Then you're adequate. Uh, if you can draw even remotely well, then you can color adequately. And then from there, it's a real steep curve to get to the next level. The next level of even being like, and I understand color theory, or and I understand how to use color holds effectively, or I understand how to use this as an actual storytelling technique. Those things are hard, 
and there are very few people who, who ever get to that. Uh, but the, the basic part of coloring, technically easy once you know how to do it, and so boring for me. Um, I can color maybe, like, it, it takes about, for, for Black Sand Beach, which is pretty simplistic cartoonish coloring a lot of the time, it takes about two hours to color a page. But uh, probably, unless I'm like on a really strict deadline where I have to work and I've just got like no other choice, I can probably only color four pages a day, even if I'm sitting there at my desk for like 16 to 18 hours. And it's just because I'll be like, well, yeah, technically I could be doing this and I could select that area of that person's face and throw in some shadow real easy like. But also I could play this bowling game that I found on Facebook. Not very good at it because you shouldn't be doing it with a mouse, but I'll do it for an hour. Never improve. So I guess my, my, my next question then is which, you know, you kind of answered it, um, but what, what part of this, the, the process do you enjoy the most? Um, the writing. Uh, just, I, I just love writing. I, it's, it's the only thing that makes me really tired, honestly. Um, I get so excited when I come up with a new story. Uh, my husband has to put up with like a lot where I will I'll wake him up in the night and be like, hey, I just came up with like, just out of nowhere I figured out how the 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 thing in Blastosaurus works where there's a different time stream in the decaying fragments of their time and that's where the monsters are being sent. Let me explain the science that I invented, and it's such an adrenaline rush. Um, it's like you feel invincible. You feel like I, I always describe it as it feels like having too much blood, because your body is about to explode because you've had an idea. And what's cool is that you get tiny versions of it when you're, you know, there, there are plenty of people who are like, I love having ideas. I've got so many novels in my head. But when you actually start typing it out, writing that script, planning it out, and then new little things come up, um, I, I can't say what it is, but I came up with a thing uh, yesterday for Black Sand Beach Book 3 that just twists the ending just a little bit. And it's so good and it's so creepy. And, uh, like, I cannot get over how excited I am about it. And I know that, like, what's the best part is, is that it's 126 pages away from being drawn. And so I'm going to be excited about drawing for the next 126 pages until I get to draw that awesome little thing. And it's only one panel, by the way. Yeah, I could hear it just in, in your, you know, the way you're talking about it. Like when uh, you were talking about like the, the drawing and the and the coloring, you could just like, ah, yeah, it's just taking stuff. And then you you started talking about the writing, man, and I could just hear how uh, excited you were. Like, you know, as someone who's a, a writer myself, I could really, um, you know, relate to kind of when you're writing and then all of a sudden something comes to you and it's just absolutely perfect and it fits. It's like finding $20 in your jeans that you didn't know that was there. It's like, oh my God, wow, where did this come from? Like, this is amazing. Do you, do you know the, um, uh, I'm going to forget the name. Um, there's this psychological experiment thing of like, the, the, there's, a, there's a graph that shows that finding $20 is infinitely better, uh, is infinitely more positive than losing $20 is negative. Like, you can lose $20 and not care because it's only $20. But if you find $20, that makes your day and you'll tell everyone you know. Yes, I I, um, I want to say I'm familiar with it. I, I've heard of it. I'm not 
entirely sure what it's called, but like everyone has that story, right? It doesn't even have to be twenty dollars. It could be five or ten. Yeah, yeah. Like like oh my gosh, I was walking down the street and guess what I found? A dollar. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, no way, it was just there. It's like, yeah, can you believe it? Yeah. And like the thing is, I've actually been in like a large group of people. And this is not when I was a kid. Like when I was a kid, this would be a big deal. But this was like I was a fully grown adult person, um, maybe three years ago, and we were there was six of us, and we found a $10 bill. And we were all excited because now we had just made one-sixth of $10 that we could use to buy four beers in New Zealand because things are expensive here. Like, we didn't even get a whole beer each, and we're adults, but it made our night. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's, that is the greatest kind of analogy to writing. Like yeah. it could be, it could be something so small as you're like, wow, I realize that this person would say the here instead of like whatever, and it's like, oh wow, that works. Like it is just, uh, it's just, it's just really, it's just really, um, really fun, and it's, um, it's something that's really hard. I find it for myself, it's really hard to explain to other people. Um, I got an email from uh, my editor on a script that I'm doing. Um, there's this conceit and a, a slow reveal that there are, there are two characters who are, in fact, one monster. Um, they are always connected. They, they physically are two separate things, but when, when they stop being the, those two separate things, one of them sticks their tongue out and consumes the other one, and they turn back into the one thing. And... Uh, there's just this little moment where they show up and they knock on the door and they say, Hi, we are a friend of Harry's. May we come in? And my editor emailed me and said, Shouldn't it say we are friends of Harry's? I was like, No. And she just emailed back, Well, shit. Because <laughs> she didn't know at that point that that was the monster. That's awesome. Yeah, that is... Uh... Yeah, it's just it's like little moments like that that are um, that are really, you know, it's just uh, you know what it makes. I don't know. For for me, I don't know if you feel the same way, but for me, um, after I create something and, and publish it and send it out to the world, uh, it's almost less exciting than when I'm in the trenches and creating it and getting the stuff back and kind of doing the 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 creative stuff. Well, it's, it's far less, you're far less ingrained in it. Like, I think that the best works always come from obsession. And so when you're, when you're in the trenches and you're making the work, you are eating, sleeping, breathing that thing. When you put it out into the world, everyone has it, and everyone's giving you your accolades or, or, or shitting all over you, I guess, uh, depending on whether they like it or not. But, like, it's, it's about you, but, like you get to enter a different world for a few months when you're making something. And that's, that's it's always better. I'd much rather live there. Yeah. It's, um, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, just a, an awesome feeling to, you know, um, seeing something that, you know, only lived in your head, come out into the physical world. Like it didn't exist before you, you put it to paper and, and printed it and created it. And that's always like that, to me is like legitimate magic and it's so strange like you know I, i'm looking at the at black sand beach now and i'm i'm uh taking a break from coloring to to, to talk to you and uh i thought 
it was like, oh, I'm here for, I'm, I'm stuck in this room for 14 days. I've got to color 60 pages and write another 120 pages of script. And I'm enjoying it so much. And uh, fine, whatever. I'm on the third book. It still feels like the newest thing I'm doing because it's only two years old. I have thousands of pages of Blastosaurus, but I've been, I, I was working on that for um, 12 years, you know? And the thing is, if you ask me, you can ask me any question about any one of the characters in Black Sand Beach, and it might be something I've never thought about before, but I'll have an answer for you. Because in that couple of years that I've been doing it, and it's been in three month bursts because I've been working on other stuff in between, but like those characters are more real in my head than, than anything else. And I think yeah. that, like, I can, you know, when, when I switch over to Cardboardia in two months' time, uh, those characters will be more real in my head than anything else. If I ever get back to Blastosaurus, the same thing will happen. I mean, not so much with my book Irrelevant about a vampire who used to be cool, because he's just a dumb joke. But, like, the ones where it's really character-driven stuff, like, you, you live for them. You live as them, and it's great. Yeah, uh... So I guess a, a interesting writing kind of process question. Are you more of a, you know, hit the ground running, just let's see what happens as you, uh, you know, start writing on the page? Or are you an outline type of guy? What's kind of the, the writing process for you since you're doing just a ton of writing all the time? Um, I, it, it, it sort of depends. Like, I'm, 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 a, I'm a tiny concept exploded guy. So I will come up with the ones like nugget of fear in the story, and then I will blow that up into a into a full plot, and I can do that pretty quickly. You know, once once I find the scary thing, and like for that thing about remembering how to breathe, which is the basis for two of the books at this point, it's just because of the, there's a mountain goats lyric that I sort of deliberately misunderstood, which is the ghosts that haunt your building have been learning how to breathe, and. I heard that. I was like, oh, that's terrifying. That's quite a terrifying thought. Okay. And then I just blew it up into a thing. Um, that's really fast. And that's really unstable. Once I'm actually writing it and I start finding on the page, and, which, and when I say it's fast, I mean like that's an hour to come up with the outline for the two books that that's going to be about. Once, it's on, once I'm putting it on the page, uh, the characters guide it, the trauma the characters have gone through guides it the 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 strange dynamics between this of, of the, the the shifting friendships of being 12 years old will guide it and that will lead the story in very different directions um and as long as i always have that little nugget of something scary to hold it together i know it's always going to kind of work um i'm not great at uh like I struggle a bit with action and I struggle a bit with like putting enough importance on that big final fight or that big showdown between the, the, the good and evil or whatever. Cause I, I don't think there is good and evil. There's just, um, I, I think of it as like, there's, there's ideas and there's nothing. Um, most of my stories are sort of based on if there are bad characters, it's because they're, mad because they don't have any good ideas of their own and it's made them bitter and they just want to destroy things and it's the simplest form of of evil that there is it's it's people who don't Man, think i see i saw all of that in uh the uh, uh you said his name like 50 times and i can't remember blastosaurus, blastosaurus. It, is, it is the it is dumbest, dumbest name for a comic by the way like here's a here's a pro tip here's a semi pro tip 
don't give your character a 12-letter name. It's going to be real hard to put that on a cover over and over again. I still, I love, that was like one of the greatest joys of my adult life was reading that comic. Like, just just the the Mabut Hurts to the uh, Snap, Crackle, and Pop flashback where he was going to mug uh mug him because like i got my like just the the way the 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 caption was written out i was i was when i was reading it i was like legitimately laughing and i i, I haven't felt that way in a very long time so it was just a really a joy i i cannot recommend that thing that, that book more god that makes me so happy and that that by the way the, the one you for for anyone listening um that is i, I say that as if they're listening right now um for people who are in my room and i don't know about uh, the book he's talking about is my free comic book day uh, comic from this year, which was free comic book summer and was available sometime in September, but most comic stores probably still have it. I don't really know how it all worked out. It's called the Richard Fairgrey Monster Showcase. The picture on the cover is my head being uh, peeled open and all my characters eating my brains. Um, and it's, it's yeah, because I, 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 you know, I, did you did you see my Blastosaurus story from uh, from last year's free comic book day? I did not. This was actually my first introduction to Blastosaurus, and all I wanted to do was read more. Like, that was, like, the greatest teaser, like, what was it, 12 pages or 10 pages? Yeah. But So, so last year I did a kind of, um, the, the reverse of that, where it's, uh, Free Comic Book Day was going to be the one-year anniversary of Blasto launching in the U.S., and so we did a, a one-year anniversary, and it's all these characters who we've never seen in any of the issues just telling each other stories at a party about um, ways that Blastosaurus has improved their lives. And so we got to do like an anthology book of completely new characters, and it was so fun. We had like hillbilly vampires called the, the Swampires who were robbing a blood bank, and we did it like a traditional like bank holdup where they show up with sacks and start stealing everyone's blood. <laughs> I a, I would I need to read that. We like, had a villain called uh, the Crop Duster, who's fart powered, uh, which is based on one of my favorite hobbies. Um, and we had a, a potato that had gone really bad in someone's sink. It was so stupid. I just I I, I love I just loved it. And, uh, the the ending I won't ruin the ending, but you know you said like oh I I can't do you know the 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 um the the action but the ending of the free comic day i thought was just not only perfect but it also summed up the difference between uh what you were talking about like there's just people with good ideas and bad ideas and at the end the people with bad ideas won which was like there was like some weird poetic like finality to it 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 was it was really not only was it funny and it was you know it was really well done but then at the end i was like there was like something um, you know, there was like an emotional response he got from me. Yeah, I, I made you care about that character, and then I did that to him. Yeah, and he was the. Um, I, I love. I love the. Yeah, I, I love when he answered the door. He put a face on. <laughs> I've forgotten that. That's been. I, I wrote that like, you know, I I do think bad ideas are. I think the thing we're all afraid of right now are that bad ideas are going to win. Right, the world is in a very bad situation. Um, and I'm more than willing to put stories about bad ideas winning out into the world because I think if we can see it in story form, um, we're more prepared to fight it when we see it in real life. That is uh, absolutely amazing. And 
definitely more people need to hear that and uh more people need to read blastosaurus because it was it was i was blown away by it man so good so good so much um, um, but yeah, the thing I was thinking about, like not not being good at the action stuff, it's, it's more like when I'm doing a big story, I know that if it's going to be a fight scene, like I'm good at dialogue, I'm good at running, I can do some real good running scenes. Um, but when it when I then look at it, I'm like, oh, Blastosaurus, yeah, he's a dinosaur and he has a tail, so I guess that's a thing. But he's like just a five ten ordinary guy who lives in a laundromat. Um, he just happens to be shaped like a dinosaur. Like, he doesn't have superpowers. He can't hit a monster real hard like Batman could. Um, I know Batman doesn't have superpowers. Don't tweet me. Um, but, like, you know what I mean. He's not super in any way. He doesn't have gadgets. He doesn't have whatever. And in Black Sand Beach, these kids have to use their intelligence. They have – like, they are fighting impossible to destroy monsters. Like, they're very scary, big monsters that have – killed a lot of people that have caused a lot of damage and like they're stuck there for the entire summer because when you're 12 you don't get to choose where you are you're stuck where your family say you're going to be and so they're 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 trapped in every sense and i know they can't go and beat up a monster i know they can't overpower a monster so when i come up with like a way when you're asking me what the hardest thing is with the writing like or, or the thing like i don't stick to my big plot that i come up with at the beginning but if I come up with a cool way for them to take down a monster, I will hold on to that. Like, you can pry that from a cold dead hands because, like, once I know how they're going to use cleverness and science to defeat something, it is staying. And I will build my story towards it. Yeah, that's awesome. Was there, uh, you know, I, I guess this is going to be a, a, a hard segue, but whatever. It's my show. I can do whatever the hell I want. Yeah. Um, we're... Uh, uh, we're both in the, uh, you're in the Nightmare anth- Nightmare Theater Anthology, right? Yes. How did you kind of get involved with that and this kind of, you know, let, you know, I guess tease whatever you can about, uh, about your story? Um, so David Trader had read Blastosaurus. Um, I don't think we'd ever met at that point. I think we were maybe friends on Facebook just because we knew a lot of people in common and like it's the LA comic scene, you know, we shop at the same place. Um, and he approached me at a um, at a convention, uh, the the Pasadena Comic Con. Uh, I want to say earlier this year, but everything sort of blurred. It might have been last year. I don't know when that was. Whatever day it was, it was also the day that my friend offered me the choice of seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time, or watching the first twenty three parts of R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet. And I do not really hold on, hold on. Which, which what choice did you make? Obviously, I watched R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet because <laughs> I wanted to see it. But because I really, I, I do take some real pride in being able to say, no, I haven't seen Indiana Jones. Um, and my, my, my frame of reference for Indiana Jones is the uh, Sega Master System game, which I played a lot as a six-year-old, but it has my absolute favorite thing in an instruction booklet I've ever seen. And it's a picture of a giraffe. And it says, giraffe, fatal if touched. That is amazing. That's the greatest uh, instruction manual ever. Um, so he, he approached me and he said he'd read, uh, it's like some of the Blastosaurus stories go pretty like horror ish. You know, I, I like, I like horror all the time. I'll put it into anything I can and I'll use elements of it in my comedy and in my action stuff as well. And so he, he said, look, do you want to be in this anthology? And I said, sure. And, um, promptly forgot about it because the pandemic happened and I, uh, 
Trump canceled my visa and I had to flee to Canada and that like just it's been a, a nightmare of a year for me um, and then uh, he emailed and said hey just checking in are you still on board for this and I was like yeah of course I am because like I love horror I'm gonna do this but I had this real cool idea for a story I'd sent him three story ideas he said I could do whichever one I wanted they all worked and I had forgotten about the anthology and I had used all three of them for a different book for my collection of short horror stories and um, so I was a little bit stuck and then I was having this conversation with someone about like how do you create horror and I said sometimes it's really simple it's just putting something in the wrong place like if a, if a person is where they're not meant to be that is that is scary you know it like it's not scary I, I can't remember who said it uh, this definitely wasn't me but it's like when you're alone in the dark you're not afraid of being alone in the dark you're afraid that you're not alone in the dark because if someone's in the wrong place that is terrifying and uh, I had said in an interview uh, one day about a month a month or two ago um, if you show me a big scary wolf monster I'll remember it until I finish reading about the big scary wolf monster but if I go to your house and there are corn cob holders in your toothbrush cup I am never going to sleep again because that's so weird and uh, so then I wrote a story and I won't give away too much but it's basically it's about a it's about what happens when you go to a party and you think everyone there is super normal and everything's good and then you find corn cob holders in their toothbrush cup which means that someone has on purpose taken the object that is the most specifically designed to be only used for one thing literally to the point where it looks like the thing it's used for stabbing and they've put it in their bathroom and that is so messed up i uh i cannot wait to uh to read that that uh that story it's uh it, I, I love that you 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 pointed out the 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 horror thing where it's like something just has to be misplaced because that's probably the one of the most direct and boiled down versions of what can make things scary and i definitely i, I saw it in a, in a lot of your work and obviously in the uh in the horror anthology um you know we're gonna see it again but is this is this something that you know a lot of your stories have or is it something that um you kind of play around with here and there um I do a lot of stuff where it's just about taking taking something fairly innocuous and just twisting it a little bit. Um, I think a lot of people will, and I'm, I'm not. I'm I'm about to compare myself to Stephen King, and I'm aware that I'm about to do it. Um, and I'm not saying I'm as good at this as Stephen King, but uh, hairstyle-wise, I'm better. Um, the thing that makes Stephen King an incredible horror writer is that his stories are not he does not come up with scary concepts that are rehashings or retellings of other things it's there's there's it isn't just fairy tales in a modern setting with something spookier it isn't usual urban legend stuff it isn't like most people are like here's how i make something scary i take something that's already been done and i twist it he says what's something that no one has ever thought was scary and then I'll make that scary. Then I'll find the scary thing within that. And uh, that's that's the same approach that I try and take. Um, 
like I, I, I don't want to create horror stories that are rehashings of other people's horror stories. I do not want my monsters to be monsters you've seen before. Um, and so in, in the Nightmare Theater thing, the monster is the terrifying thought process that goes through you as you lie on the bathroom floor holding a corncob holder, wondering what it's been used for in that room. Uh, but in in Black Sand Beach, it means that I can come up with, you know, uh, a, again from a Mountain Goats lyric because I was um, wh when I was I was I was in my the haunted house I built for my wedding is now my writing office, um, but uh, I, I only had one record out there and it was a Mountain Goats record, and there's a line in one of the songs, uh, and you already know I'm lying because the song is from a different record, but I was just listening to a lot of Mountain Goats at the time, but I wanted to, wanted to sound cooler. Um, there's someone waiting out there with a mouthful of surprises. And, I mean, I think they're talking about crack, but um, in my mind, if for a kid's horror series, there are so many things you could put inside your mouth that would be surprising to a person. Like, you just take one of those little, like, stress balls that can squish down real small, and you write a scary word on that, you put it inside your mouth. You can get it small enough between your teeth that no one can even tell there's anything in there, and then when it's your turn to talk in the conversation, you just let that bad boy fall right out. It's going to freak people out to no end. Yeah, and uh, and that's, you know, that is more that is a lot scarier, that and the corn cob holders in the bathroom. First off, if I saw corn cob holders in the bathroom, I there there i would just leave like there's no there's no talking it's just you walking out there's yeah. something wrong here and Best then case scenario someone's taking a massive dump while eating corn <laughs> that's Best so case. that's so wrong hilarious and scary at the same time but like at least they know that they're doing it while they're taking a dump and they shouldn't be touching the corn so they have the holders which like gives them some shred of humanity and dignity, but at the same time, it's backwards. Um, but so, yeah, like, I, I'll often, like, just, I'll take little things and twist them. Um, they're remembering how to breathe. The, like, just little, like, questions from things, uh, uh, misunderstood sayings um, come up a lot in, in, in my work. Um, and... I, I try and find things where I, I try and find ways that'll actually be a surprise to the reader because obviously if you you know I mean obviously you know in the, in, in one of the Pokemon movies when it says the world will turn to ash it's like yeah and the main character's name is Ash so that's probably really related like we get it and I think every kid gets that but if I can write a story where a kid who is you know of of an age where they are completely annoyed by watching Pokemon and having that kind of ham-fisted storytelling shoved down their throat, and they can come to my book and be like, oh, I did not see that one coming. Oh, that's quite messed up. Well, that is an actual surprise of a thing that I thought was uh, pretty normal there. Yeah, and I I, I think very, very few times um, writers, especially, you know, um, writers for, for middle school grades, I'm, I'm going to have a huge generalization here, but, uh, you know, I think there's something to be said for respecting your readers, oh, your readers and yeah. your readers intelligence. Um, you know, that's one thing in my own writing, you know, I, I try to n not force feed any, anything to my readers. I respect their intelligence enough that I could give them hints and they could make inferences and they could figure it out because as a reader myself, 
you know, I, I like that. I like figuring, you know, I like doing that stuff myself. So in one aspect, I'm writing for myself, but another aspect, I know, you know, no one wants to be talked down to while they're being entertained, you know. And I think, like, when, like I, I also write uh, children's books, like, like for three to six-year-olds, I write picture books. And uh, I will, I'll, I'll tell adults about what happens in the book, and they'll say, well, that's, that's too much stuff for a 28-page book. I'm like, no, it's not, because, like, the main thing is, like, four sentences but the way kids interact with things, like when, as, as adults, we learn to gloss over things. We don't read entire words. We see the shape of a word and our brain corrects for it. And th that's why we're able to read as fast as we do. Um, we read, uh, we read stories and we remember the basic plot line. But when you, like, you get an eight-year-old and you say, you get a five-year-old and you say, hey, what happens in Adventures in Babysitting? And they will be able to tell you even if they haven't seen it for several months, they will be able to tell you in order every single scene of that movie. And that is a very complicated movie with a lot of scenes, and none of them have like a natural flow from one to the next. Because it's like, well, they're on the on the on the road going into the city to get Brenda, and then uh, then the the car they get stuck in traffic, and then the guy puts the thing through the windscreen, and then he has a hook for a hand, so they get scared. So then they have to go to like with the drive with him but then they're hiding in a car because he's going in because his wife is cheating on him but then the car gets stolen and then they end up in the car thieves hideout and they have to creep out of there and then when they get out they run into the back alley and they end up in a jazz club and then they sing the blues in a jazz club and like none of those things follow from one to the next they all just happen and that's as far into that movie as I can remember and I've seen it like a solid hundred times but if I was still like a six or seven year old and had watched that and, and had recorded that when I was pretending to be recording Masters of the Universe on the other channel, which I still haven't seen, um, so that I could be cool at school, um, I could have told you every single minute of that movie. Like, I rewatched yeah. it again a couple of months ago. I was like, I don't even remember him getting stabbed in the foot. That's insane. He gets stabbed in the foot. <laughs> so, was, I guess, um, Yes, the answer is yes. It is one of the greatest movies of all time. <laughs> for sure, for sure. You know, I, I was I was trying to think of a better way to, to segue into this question, but whatever. Um, it is what it is. Um, why why the uh, was it a, a conscious choice to write uh, for middle school uh, grades and younger children? Was that something that you wanted to do, or did you just kind of find yourself kind of going in that direction with the stories you wanted to tell? Um. I had always, you know, there, there are so many things I enjoy as an adult, and there were so few things I enjoyed growing up, and, um, you know, I, I I got in trouble a lot at school, and never for, like, never for the things that kids get in trouble for. Like, I, 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 I wasn't, I didn't fight, I didn't vandalize, I didn't, I mean, I, I stole uh, a lot, um, and I, I did a lot of grifting, but, like, the things I got in trouble for were, like, writing that Mickey Mouse story, um, or a Donald Duck story, really, but, uh, or, like, I read Dracula when I was seven, and I had to do a book report on the book I'd chosen, and I'd read Dracula, and I got up and I talked about how it's, like, the gayest story in the whole world because it's all about men finding different ways to penetrate each other. 
I was seven years old, and then that is the that is the uh, that is the 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 ballsiest book at seven to read too, like Dracula. I was just super into vampires. I was like, vampires are cool. Dracula is probably the book I should read, and no one stopped me, so I did it, and I loved it. But like, it wasn't meant for me, and I reread it later, and I was right. It's definitely, definitely a very homoerotic book, um, but. Like, there wasn't stuff for me when I was a kid. Like, when I was... I think Goosebumps started when I was maybe eight. And I remember the first time I saw uh, a, an advertisement for it, I cut it out and kept it under my pillow because I was just so happy that someone was making something that I might enjoy that was meant to be enjoyed by me. Um, and so I, I, I've always been kind of drawn to, like, here's the stuff for, here's the stuff for Richard. Like... Seven-year-old Richard can have this. Three-year-old Richard can have this. Fifteen-year-old Richard can have this. And I will keep making stuff until there's enough to, like, fill all the time of a kid of all those ages who was a weirdo like me. That's awesome. And I, I think, uh, you know, writing for yourself um, is is something that, you know, or, or creating for yourself first or creating, you know, do it for you for the, for the, for the sake of creating. I think is more important than, um, you know, for wanting to do it for accolades or anything else, because that's the, the purest form you're going to be able to, you know, I guess, create and do. I do like the accolades. Everyone likes the accolades, but it's, it's really, you know, um, I forget who said this. Maybe it was, maybe it was Al. Clever, because it was probably me. It was, it was definitely you. Uh, it was, it was something along the lines. I want to say it was Alan Moore. I can't believe I'm about to quote Alan Moore here. But it was like uh, create without the fear of success or failure, and just do it for the sake of creating, and you know you'll be better for it. And it's or like, and I think it was something like you know you should create like a a, a kid, you know, um, like you know make believes or is playing in his room or whatever. Yeah. And I, I I try to I try to do that with everything that I do because once I, you know, I think anyone once you start kind of trying to make the next best thing or, or, or try to make this the your hit i think that's when you start um you start be you, you're not true to yourself and what you like and what you're trying to do and then you're trying to you know you're trying to fit something that it might not it might not necessarily be the thing that you're meant to do yeah i, I mean like it's one of the reasons i kind of pulled back from making kids books um when i um when i decided to leave new zealand um, it was, it was, it was all very hurried. Like I, I was, I'd been in the U S I decided I wanted to move there. So I went back to New Zealand for four days, went to a convention with every comic I sold. I gave away a personal item. And then I came to America on the Monday night with a big plastic tub full of money and like six days worth of clothes and Nigel, my skeleton. Um, and it was, you know, it was because there was, like, nothing more for me to do there. And I, it was because I was, I'd, I'd been making picture books, um, as well as, as well as the comics. I just started putting out, like, four or five picture books a year. And they were selling, and I realized that I could make, I could, I could draw and color a picture book in a weekend and have it printed in uh, three weeks' time and then have 8,000 copies go out to stores. And it was a quick turnaround, and I was like, that's pretty good, and I can, like, just keep doing it. And it got to the point where you could be like, hey, Richard, write a picture book. And I would look around my room, and I'd be like, okay, it's about 
Okay, well I've I've taken the, my hotel room phone off the off the hook so that it doesn't ring um, while I'm on this interview. So it's about a I don't know. It's about a landline who's lost its curly cord and has to find its way back to its cradle um, to sleep. And along the way, it's going to meet other junk on the floor, and it'll be kind of like a video game motif where it has to like achieve different things to whatever. I mean, it's always and obviously it's about becoming untangled and untethered. So it's about being willing to spin round and round and go upside down, which is going to be a metaphor for. Um, looking at the world from a new angle so that you can feel more comfortable and better when you finally do get to bed. Um, and I made that up just then, and it's not great, but it's perfectly serviceable. And I can draw a fun little phone, and kids love playing with phones. And admittedly, most kids don't have landlines, so that book probably wouldn't fly. Um, but you, you get my point. It, it, it became so easy to, to churn those out that I hated it, and I, I had to get away from it. Um, and I knew that I would become bitter and I would start making stuff for the sake of making stuff or for the sake of the money that was coming in from making stuff because it wasn't difficult to do. Yeah, that's, that's such a, such good insight and, uh, and definitely something that, you know, it, you know, just having the, 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 the wherewithal to kind of catch yourself in that kind of, um, that, that thought process. Um, before you know it ended up spiraling out of controls it was you know it's it's really smart and you know kudos for you um by the way when we say it didn't spiral out of control i have 30 completed picture books that no one's ever seen that i made through that exact process but hey at least you got like a a a bunch of like back stock stuff that you could it'll be great when i when i die tragically um (laughs) My agent can continue to release things for years. Yeah, like uh, like you'll be like the uh, the children book, like the Tupac version of the of the children book world. As long as I get to be brought back as a hologram, I'm actually on board for that. That's awesome. That is awesome reference. That's an awesome reference. It's probably my probably most up to date reference. Oh man, that's so good. Uh, Richard, so I mean, uh, where can everyone find you? Where they, where can they find your stuff? Where where can they find Blastosaurus and Black Sand Beach? Where can they get a hold of you on social media? Um, well, I'm the only Richard Fairgray in the entire world, so I'm super easy to find on the internet. Um, I'm Richard Fairgray on Twitter, Richard Fairgray on Facebook, Richard Fairgray author on Instagram, which is where people should be following me because it's where I post all my art and my adventures with Nigel. Um, and that's about to get, as I mentioned, it's about to get super weird. Um, uh, richardfairgray.com, if you want to see previews of my comics or links to buy them. Black Sand Beach is available everywhere. There's a lovely, lovely hardcover with a really nice, uh, case design underneath the dust jacket, which I'm super proud of. Um, Blastosaurus is available through Diamond, so your comic stores can order the first two volumes, and there's a summer special and a Halloween special, and most comic stores probably have the uh, Richard Fairgray Monster Showcase, which has a Black Sand Beach story that's not in the book, and a Blastosaurus story, and Ghost Ghost, and uh, Nigel's Having a Party, which is a comic about Nigel having a Halloween party, and I guess that's kind of everything. I mean, if you, if you're, if you have kids, if you have young kids... Uh, I really strongly recommend you go and buy my feminist children's book that got me fired from my publisher, 
uh, Sweet Penny and the Lion. It's about a little girl learning that being sweet and nice and always doing as you're told is only going to cause you to get eaten by a lion, and you need to stand up for yourself. Uh, it's one of the best things I've ever done, and I'm super proud of it, so everyone should check that out. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. I had an absolute blast uh, talking with Richard. Um, if you like the podcast, please, please subscribe to it. Also, please leave us a review. It would be greatly appreciated. And also, if you want to listen to this podcast before anyone else, get exclusive behind-the-scenes uh, behind material and get yourself a free comic, you can go to aguildy.com forward slash free comic. That's A-G-U-I-L. DE.com forward slash free comic. Until next week. Humble man. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for being with me. And uh, everyone, make sure you check out uh, all of Richard's stuff. It's absolutely great stuff. Nothing but uh, high praise for Richard. Thank you. Uh,